0: What we deal with this morning is very close to what O.S. dealt with today in Habakkuk. We are in Psalm 13. This is a series that we are calling Psalms in the Summer. And this will be our 13th Psalm. We'll probably do two or three more, and then we will uh, go into the fall season and uh, we will uh, begin a study probably in one of the other books of the New Testament. Now, the first thing I want you to notice when you get to Psalm 13 is that it has only six verses, okay? So, theoretically, I could read this thing and explain it, and we could be finished in a couple minutes, Uh, But when you really delve into the psalm, you start making some discoveries. And the first thing I want you to notice is that this psalm can be divided evenly into three parts, or three sections. Verses 1 and 2, we see David's anguish. I want you, if you've been in the service this morning, I want you to think about this, okay? If you're going to the 11 o'clock service, I want you to reflect back on this message. Verses 1 and 2, David's anguish, okay? And then verses 3 and 4, David's cry, David's plea, okay? And then verses 5 and 6, David's faith, okay? So we have three sections. The first, David's anguish, and that's going to be characterized by a question. That first section, is going to focus on a question. Okay? Section two, David's cry or plea that's going to focus on a prayer. Section one a question, section two a prayer. and then section three, David's faith. that's going to center on a song. okay Now I want you to first of all look at David's anguish. look at verses one and two he says, "How long, O Lord, will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Now, you'll notice that phrase, how long, is repeated four times. And I want you to notice or consider several things about this section. First of all, I want you to notice that this question, the question of how long, is open-ended. He has no idea how long. He's going through a mess in his life. We're going to get into that in a moment. But it's an open-ended question. Uh, there's uncertainty. By saying how long, it means David's uncertain. He doesn't have any sense of an answer coming. So he says, well, Lord, how long am I going to have to go through all of this? Okay? Now, the second thing I want you to consider is that this question deals with time. Time. That's where we live. We live in time. Guess what? God lives above time. God lives in eternity. So David is speaking in time to a God of eternity, and he says, God, here's where I live, and uh, how long am I going to have to wait? Okay? Now, if you've ever faced a difficulty, you know what kind of question this is. This is, you know, is this thing ever going to end? <laughs> this is this going to get over with? And if you're in that situation right now, maybe this is your question. You wonder how long the nightmare can go on in your life. And some of you have been through all kinds of nightmares recently, haven't you? And uh, David is going through, in a sense, a nightmare. Now, there's another thing I want you to notice about this question, how long. It speaks of desperation. It is a cry of desperation. You don't say how long when you're in the middle, and when you're in the beginning of a crisis. You say how long when you're in the middle of a crisis. And when that crisis is prolonged further or longer than you expected, and so this is a cry of desperation and he says how long and what he means is how long am I going to have to hang on I, don't, I think I, I don't know if I can hang on too much longer how long am I going to have to hang on if God said we well, only have to hang on for 10 minutes I think David would say well I can do that but he doesn't know how long he's going to have to hang on so there's a sense in which he's suffering and he wants to know how long will this suffering go on it's almost unbearable now the thing it's really interesting to me is that question, how long, is mentioned four times. In all of David's other psalms that he writes, and he writes a lot of them, probably about 90 of the psalms, in all the other psalms combined, he only asked that question two times. He asked the question, how long, twice as many in one psalm as he does in all the other psalms. Now one of the times that he asked, and I wanted to show you because it's very close here, is back in chapter, or Psalm 6, rather, Psalm 6, and verse 3. Psalm 6 and verse 3. Now look what he said. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, Lord, how long? See? There it is. How long? He says it there and he says it in Psalm 35 in verse 17 and that's it. Two times in the other Psalms four times here it's a cry of desperation. Now, here's where things get very interesting. Habakkuk Joes Hawkins spoke about this morning opens with a question. Habakkuk says Oh Lord this is Habakkuk 1-2 OS read it this morning for it. Oh Lord How long must I cry? And you will not answer. Oh Lord, how long will I say violence? And you do not respond. So what you have is you have Habakkuk at the beginning of Habakkuk in the same condition that David was and this is a cry of desperation. Now there's one other time that this is mentioned in the Bible where someone cries out to God and says, How long? And it's in the book of Revelation. I want to show that to you. Now I want you to look over at Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. We are in the great tribulation in Revelation chapter 6. And judgments are falling upon the earth. They're called the seal judgments. And martyrs have died for the faith during this great tribulation. And then verse 9 says, And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who have been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord? Look at that. There's a cry of desperation. Notice that longing. How long, O Lord? Holy and true, until you judge and revenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. So this is a universal cry of the heart that was experienced by David, was experienced by an Old Testament prophet, Habakkuk, and is experienced by Christians and believers throughout the age, even to the closing of the age. Okay. Now, if you go back to the psalm, Psalm 13, because David uses it for long, four times, I think we could call this psalm uh, the how-long psalm, or maybe we should just call it the howling psalm. Because he's howling, he's crying out to God. Now, another thing about this question is that it places blame on God. Remember that's what O.S. said about Habakkuk. He was blaming God for what was going on. And David is blaming God. And if you look at the text very carefully, look at verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Notice he says, God, hey, you're ignoring me. You're ignoring my circumstances. How long will you hide your face from me? In other words, where's the blessings that you're supposed to be giving me? How long am I going to have to wait before you start blessing me again? I'm going through a lot of problems. How long shall I take counsel in my soul? That's a very interesting uh, verse too. How long shall I take counsel in my soul? Uh, David is turning inward. He's turning these problems that he's facing over in his mind. He's, he's, uh, He's having a counseling session. But he's not seeing the psychiatrist. He's taking counsel with himself. And he's talking to himself. You ever do that? You ever get in a mess and start talking to yourself? Well, what in the world is going on now? I'd like to know. Yeah. And David is, in a sense, taking counsel with his soul. And look what he says about that. And he has sorrow in his heart daily. So he's turning this over in his mind, trying to figure out a solution to his problem. And he can't. He's tried to figure every angle how he can solve this problem, and he's in a dilemma. And he can't. And he's suffering. And he wants to know how long is this going to last. And it just doesn't seem that there's any answer. He's he's facing what we call a dark night of the soul. His he is torture. Have you ever had a situation where you're in the middle of a crisis or something's going on in your family, and you can't even sleep because at night, when you put your head on your pillow, what are you doing? Turning it over and over and over and you start going to sleep and you wake up and you're thinking about this. That's what David's going through. So we see that uh, he cries out, uh, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart? And then finally he says at the end of verse 2, how long, and I think this is the real issue, watch this, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? This is the problem that he's facing. His enemy is getting the upper hand. Now David's the king. Now this is either an enemy from the from without, like a heathen nation that's trying to, one of the surrounding nations is trying to take over, and it seems their strength is building, and they're getting the upper hand. Or this, these are enemies within his government and within his own nation. But the bottom line is, it looks like he's not going to be able to hold out much longer. And he says, how long... Will my enemy be exalted over me? And so he yearns for help, but God's not responding. But the irony is, I think it's ironical, that this God who he blames, he calls out to for help. It's an irony, isn't it? This God who he feels is afar off and not paying any attention, he calls to help. it shows us that David doesn't think that he's abandoned he just thinks God's ignoring the situation God knows about the situation but God's not doing anything have you ever been in a situation like that when people who knew what your situation is and could step in and do something didn't and you wonder what in the world are they doing why are they ignoring this and you write them and you call them and you email them and they don't respond you say how long maybe you've hunted for a job and you've been in that situation someone says look I'll have an opening for you. Have you ever been in a situation like that? I'll call you next week. And guess what? They don't call you next week. And then the next week. And you say, well, how long? I can't hold out much longer. And you email them and they they ignore you. But guess what? You keep coming back to them anyway. (laughs) Hoping. Usually those things don't work out. But in David's situation, they do. But he's in anguish. So that's what I want you to sense. Okay? Now, section 2, verses 3 and 4, we see David's cry or David's plea Now look what he says. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes. Now he's asking for two things. First of all, he's asking God to pay attention. Look, consider me. Pay attention to me. Listen to me. And then he's asking God to take action. Look what he says enlighten my eyes. Do something. Give me an explanation. Make my circumstances better. That's what he's saying. Do something. Respond. Now I want you to notice that the plea is personal here. Look. Consider and hear hear me, O Lord. Look at this. My God. See, David has a relationship with God. He calls him my God. And this is the reason that David can... Cry out to God, and he thinks that God's going to hear it. Because God has established a covenant. He's entered into an agreement with the nation of Israel that if you'll call upon me, I will answer. Did God say something like that? Yeah, God says, I'm your God. All you have to do is depend upon me, call upon me, I'll answer, and I'll do things that are beyond anything that you can imagine. So David takes God at his word. He doesn't understand why God's not responding or doing anything, but he does that. And so God, he senses God here as being a personal God. Now, I want you to notice that the plea is not only personal, but I want you to notice that it's specific. What he says down in verse 3, enlighten my eyes. What in the world does that mean, enlighten my eyes? Um, In modern day English, it means uh, uh, brighten up my day. Cheer me up. Uh, you know, answer. Yeah, look. You've been waiting for that phone call from that guy who said he's going to give you a job and a month passes and one day you get the call. Guess what happened? See, when he responds, when he answers, when he does what he's promised he's going to do, it brightens your day. It cheers you up. So what he's saying is, turn me, Lord, from a gloomy Gus into a happy Harry. You know, I'm tired of these kinds of days where. Of just living in in the So cheer me up. Get me out of this this spirit. Now watch this purpose. Watch the purpose at the end of verse 3. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God, enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed against them, lest those who trouble me rejoice, when I am moved. So this gives us the purpose. Here's why David is saying, how long, God? If you don't move in quickly, guess what? Unless you move in quickly, this is what's going to happen. And what's going to happen? He says, first of all, I'll die. Look, lest I sleep the sleep of death. This shows you, this is a life and death situation. Now, notice how he calls death. He describes death as sleep. You see that? His prayer was, Lord, enlighten my eyes. Now think about this. You're going to have your, using this language, if you're going to have your eyes enlightened, guess what they are now? They're darkened. They're gloomy. They're downcast. And he knows the next step is they're just going to be closed and going to be in darkness forever, and he's going to die. So he says, Lord, wake me up. Cheer me up. Get me up. Because if you don't move in now, I'm going to die. Okay? Then the next thing he says, now that concerns him. If you don't move in now, look, I will die. Now look at the next thing, verse 4. This concerns the enemy. If you don't move in now, my enemy will say, Ha! I prevailed on him. Look, I prevailed on him against him. And those who trouble me will rejoice when I am removed. Or when I am moved. Meaning, removed or knocking down or defeated or, yeah, shaken or whatever. When I'm taken out of the office, they're going to they're gonna say, ah, we prevailed against him. And then he says, they're going to rejoice. <laughs> Look at that. These troublemakers are going to rejoice when he's removed from office. So these are the consequences if God doesn't move in. Uh, David understands very clearly the seriousness of the situation. Now sometimes, when a politician's moved from office, it's a good thing. You know that? That is a good thing. (laughs) Um, But in this case, it's not a good thing. (laughs) And David knows it's not going to be good for Israel. And so uh, he asks God to pay attention to his request and answer his request unless these things happen. Now, it's interesting to me that verse 4 ends with the uh, him looking into the future if God doesn't answer and how the enemies will respond. He says they will rejoice. Those who trouble me will rejoice when I am moved. Okay, But now we come to this next section, we see David's faith. And notice how it opens. But I have. Hey, God, if you don't move in, they're going to defeat me, they're going to brag about it, and they're going to rejoice. But guess what, God? Look, I have trusted in your mercy. In contrast to them, the enemies, what are they trusting in? What are the enemies trusting in? Yeah, they're trusting in themselves. Ah, we have prevailed. Look at that. Oh, yeah, but God, guess what? But I trust in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice here. I think that this is a very pivot uh, point in the psalm. This turns the whole psalm on its head in the sense. that It's the turning point. Dr. Jeremiah has a his show is called Turning Point. And this is the turning point or the pivot point, the swing point in the song. But I have trusted in your mercy. Now notice, I have trusted. You see that? That's in the past. But God, I want to tell you something. Not I am trusting. Although I think he's doing that too. What does he say? In the past, I have trusted in your mercy. That's sort of interesting, isn't it? His whole life has been characterized by faith. He's always trusted God. and Now he's, he's reminding God, in the past I've trusted in your mercy. Now look at this. And my heart, <coughs> oh, did you see this? In the future? Watch. And my heart shall rejoice in your faith salvation, or in your in delivering me from my enemy. So, what we see is that David believes that based on the past, he's trusted God in the past, and God comes through in the past for David? Every single time. He believes now that God will do it again. And as a result, he will rejoice in God's deliverance. Now notice there are two rejoices there. Do you see that? At the end of four, the enemy's going to say, Ah, in the future. God doesn't move in. And I have prevailed against them. And those who trouble me, look what they're going to do. They will rejoice when I am removed from office. They will rejoice. See, that's what's going to happen if you don't move in, God. But, God, in the past, I've trusted you, and I, based on what's happened in the past, guess what? In the future, my heart will rejoice when you're delivered. I know you're going to come through and you're going to deliver me. So this is another one of those situations where uh, the past affects the future. David has trusted God, and David will trust God. Now look at verse 6. Look what else David says. I will sing to the Lord. When is that? In the future. Look, I will sing to the Lord. Why will you sing to the Lord? Here it is. Because he has. When's that? In the past. In the future, I'm going to sing to the Lord because in the past, He has dealt bountifully with me. And so, let's we'll start off with a question. "How, Hello, Lord! Guess what? Ends in faith? Ends with confidence and assurance that things are going to turn out okay. And guess what? In the I don't know when this happens, but somewhere right in the middle of that psalm, David's eyes are enlightened, just like that. In the beginning, he's dark. Oh, how, how, how. By the end, guess what? Oh, come on! Oh, let's go. He's ready to move. Up. He's cheered up already. Right? Look, six verses. Somewhere in those six verses. I think it's right there in verse 5. Guess what? There's been a revelation. Well, God, you've done it in the past. Why won't you do it again in the future? Oh, you will! I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to praise the Lord. So, it's like faith has sort of somehow come out of the basement. You know, it's been let out and suddenly well up in his heart once again. So, whereas the enemy will rejoice over David's defeat, David says, yeah, well, that's really not going to happen. It'll end up that I will rejoice over God's victory. So, we see this pattern here. Now, look at verse, show you something here in verse 5 and 6. The beginning of verse 5, I have trusted in your mercy in the past. Look at the end of verse 6. Because he has dealt bountifully with me in the past. The beginning of verse 5 is a past statement. The end of verse 6 is a past statement. Then the end of verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6 are future statements. And that's how the Hebrews wrote, so they could remember these verses. They didn't carry Bibles around with them. They had to remember them, so they put them in a certain pattern so that you could remember these verses. So while he has been praying this howling prayer, Uh, God has answered and he's gone from isolation, feeling like he's abandoned to consolation, where he knows that God is going to answer. Now let me give you a couple lessons here if I can, okay? Lesson number one. Now is this going to sound familiar? You tell me in light of this morning's message. Number one, you need to get your eyes off Now, O. S. said off your problem, didn't it? I'm going to say it this way. You need to get your eyes off the present. That is your problem right now the present. And you need to get your eyes on the past. Is that what David does? What's the difference between verses 1 and verse 6? There's only one difference. Memory. Just memory. By verse 6 he's remembering what God has done in the past and he says if God's done it in the past guess what? He'll do it again. See? and his faith is reactivated. And doubt gives way to faith, and faith follows that out the doubt. So here's the thing. First of all, you need to get your eyes off the present. Some of you are depressed, you're in a state of depression for some reason, because you're getting older, because you're out of work, because of the economy, you don't know what's gonna happen. Oh uh, Has uh, uh. God pulled you through in the past? He'll pull you through in the future. Get your eyes off the present. Get your eyes on the past. That's all you have to do. Are you sick? Say, how long am I going to have to go through this nightmare? I can't move my foot. Can't do this. And... Has God gotten you through sickness in the past? He'll do it again. I want you to know something. The worst is over. Once you realize that what God's done in the past, He'll do it in the beginning, suddenly you'll look at your problems differently and you'll realize the worst is over. The worst is past. See? The future's good. So you out of a job, you're frustrated. What is it? Are you confused? Your kid's going crazy? You having problems with family? Get your eyes off of this. Has God worked things out in the past? Then he'll do it in the future. So get your eyes off the present and look to the past because the past is what determines the future. So, When God delivers Israel out of Egyptian bondage through the Red Sea, He gives them a ceremony called the Passover. And what is the Passover feast? What are they to do in that Passover? We're to remember. Why? Because He said, you're going to come up against giants in your life. And when you come up against another Red Sea or another Pharaoh, you need to remember. Just remember. If I've done it in the past, I'll do it in the future. Now, we have the Lord's Supper. What are we supposed to do with the Lord's Supper? Remember. It's always remember. Remember, 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 remember. Don't look to the present. Look to the past, because the past, if God did in the past, he'll do it in the future. That's one major lesson that I think that we get here out of uh, this psalm. Now, second lesson, okay? Second lesson is this. Uh, Don't think that God has departed from you. Uh, or that God has abandoned you. God's aware of your situation. Now this sort of sounds like what O.S. Hawkins said today too. He said sometimes we just need to learn to wait. But in the waiting, sometimes we think that God has abandoned us. He's not abandoned us. He's aware of our situation. I don't know if anybody that went through anything worse than Job. We talk of the patience of Job. All these things have happened. He had no idea why it happened. Well, we know because we've read the book of Job and it says Satan and God have been doing some things in heaven. God's allowed Satan to, to beat up Job and his family for a while. But that's behind the scenes. See? It was God's will. With Joseph, it was God's will that he was sold into slavery. We don't understand it, but God did it. We don't understand why, but we do understand who's in charge. God's in charge, and if God allowed that to happen, and God is God, and God is a good God, and God loves you, He did it for a reason. So when you don't understand His head, you understand you just trust Him. You trust His heart. And so Job's wife said, Job, how long are you going to keep serving? How long? Just curse God and die. Job didn't do that. And neither should we. Maybe David was tempted to do that. Sounds like it at the beginning of the psalm, but by the end, he's not. But Isaiah says, they that wait upon the Lord shall what? Oh, their eyes will be enlightened. They'll cheer up. They'll, they'll renew their strength. and They'll be running and they'll jump and... There'll be a new day. So guess what? You have to wait on the Lord. Jesus hanging on the cross. My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? God hadn't forsaken Jesus. Now that's the perception, of course, our sins were being put on Jesus. Had God forsaken Jesus? Or was God working something out through the cross? We didn't understand. The people around the cross didn't understand. But God was placing our sins upon Jesus. Now God could have answered. He said, well, let me tell you why I'm doing it. (laughs) He didn't do that, did he? Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? Look, you've abandoned me. Look what David said in verse 1. How long will you hide your face from me? That's what Jesus said. Look, how long will you forget me? Why Why have you forsaken me, Father? Why? How long? But God had a purpose, and three days later He raised Jesus from the dead. How long for Jesus? Three days. That wasn't too long, was it? Hey. When He was hanging on the cross, the worst was over. The future was bright. The future ahead was bright. Say. What you're going through, the worst is over. I want you to know that. If you can see that song within five or six verses, the worst is over. And he has the assurance that the future will be okay. God wants us to believe that. Jesus trusted the Father. The Father raised him from the dead. David trusted God. God got him out of this problem. What are we going to do? We're going to trust the Lord, aren't we? The worst is over. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Next week, we'll look at Psalm 14. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that we can look at a short psalm and realize how relevant it is for our situation. Many of us, Lord, are looking at the present. We are so muddled down with all the confusion and the the messes that are going on around us, and we don't know... Uh, how long it's going to go on and whether we can hang on. Oh, Lord, may we get to verse 5 in our lives. May we say, but I will trust you, and I have trusted you. Oh, Lord, may we learn this this truth uh, for our lives, and may our lives be brightened, and may we cheer up and realize that we have the victory through faith in Christ. In His name we pray.